Thank you for listening to our Bellwether podcast. We're in a series that we call, How Does Jesus Change My Life? And we see how he can in areas like suffering, forgiveness, and approval. Today we deal with boredom. Are you bored with your life? Are you discontent? We hope you'll see that Jesus can give you the contentment, the purpose, and the adventure in your life that you've never imagined. And then next week we take a break with this series during Valentine's Day week and do a sermon called The Search for Happiness. We hope you'll join us for worship or listen in on our podcast. Thank you. Would you all pray with me? Dear Lord, we're here and we're gathered to worship, but I know that there are those here who who maybe have become disillusioned with life or overwhelmed with problems are searching, really searching for purpose and for meaning. And our prayer together is that we would receive and hear very clearly the call you have on our lives. Because you come to us in Jesus and you've saved us in Jesus, but it doesn't end there. Uh, We are to have this great call uh, to go into all the world uh, as you've created us with our gifts to glorify you and to reach others for you. And I pray that would be, that just be flooded over our heart and minds and we'd know that and we'd live that way. So for those of us uh, who may be searching, for those of us who may be despondent this morning, for those of us who needs something to grasp hold to, uh, let us reach to Jesus and you will be there and you will give us purpose and mission and peace. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all again for being here. If you will take your Bible to turn to Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to be reading... In Matthew 4, verse 18 through 22. And a quick recap. We've been going through a series. Start of the year. January is over, but still opening up. That we call, How Does Jesus Change My Life? And we've gone through things like approval, suffering. Last week we talked about forgiveness. And we talked about how hard it is to forgive, and often we try to forgive and forget. We also talked about that we can be angry. We looked at a passage in Ephesians where Paul said, be angry and don't sin. That we can be angry, but in our anger we can sin. We can blow up, what we often think about. We can store up, which can become real bitterness, and that the devil can get a, a foothold into our hearts and our lives and literally like settle in. And that bitterness grows and it hinders and obstructs our ability to forgive and we can get in a bad place. And so what do we do? We talked about our need to see how we are forgiven. And there, I generally think there are two types. There are those who feel like they don't need forgiveness and there are those who feel like they can't be forgiven. We all need forgiveness and we all can be forgiven in Jesus. And when we realize how we're forgiven it is much easier to extend forgiveness uh, to those who may have hurt us, wounded us, 
said something about us. So, forgiveness. Jesus can change our life in forgiveness. And today we talk about, what well, I start off with the kids, boredom. And I think it's something that all of us can face. Or discontentment. Discontentment in our lives. So let's pick up Matthew 4, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 22. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they they left the boats and their father and followed him. We'll stop there. We'll pick back up on it. Uh, There is a book, and I haven't read this book. Let me say that first. But it ties into this topic, and it was written by a guy named John Steinbeck. And the book is called The Winter of Our Discontent. Uh, you know, season's winter, although it doesn't feel like winter. You know, welcome to Mississippi winter, winter 21 days, 70 the next. But it is winter, and winter is a time where not only is it cold, but things are dead. Things are literally like barren. And the winter of our discontent, this book is about lives of people who continue to live day to day, week to week, but... It's kind of like the humdrum, the daily routine, that they become content with discontentment. And the phrase, the one of our discontent, actually comes from a line of Shakespeare. I'm not like Shakespeare, a big fan, but it does say, The winter of our discontent made glorious by the summer sun. The summer sun, as in like sun, but we could also use the sun of God that brings light into our lives. Look, many people fall in the trap of discontentment, uh, of boredom. It's why a lot of folks don't come to church like, man, you know, what am I going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's why many folks get into the routine and, and literally we wake up and we don't even realize we've become content with discontentment. We've had dreams and they've been big dreams and they fade or they change or they die. Sometimes we put our dreams then on our kids. Say like, well, they've got to do this and, they, and we push them towards Our dreams, and they change or they fade, those dreams that we have, and we get, and we hit a void, and we don't know how to fill that void, and many of us certainly don't fill it with Jesus or his gospel, and we try to fill it with things that, you know, make us feel good. I mean, sometimes that's partying or booze, sometimes, you know, for for us guys, it's hobbies. I mean, I love softballs, you can fill it with that, golf, I don't play golf, one thing I do do, and... One way that many of us are discontent on this day, and this week in particular, is hunting season is over. Uh, At least deer season is over. And uh, I I admit I've become quite an addict on uh, hunting. Uh, Jill said it last week, like another one bites the dust. And just last weekend I was, uh, so I was on my last quick story that kind of talks about this. I was on my last hunting trip of the weekend up in my hometown of New Albany. So the plan was, I told him, hey, I'll be back Saturday night, 6 o'clock. You know, i got to preach the next day. And she's like, yeah, I'm giving you the weekend. So Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, planning to hunt. Well, you know, no, no deer or no deer killed. Uh, one missed, I have to admit. And uh, I was like, okay, so my last chance to get a buck, so I'm going to go Saturday afternoon. 
Uh, didn't call and tell her. Just said, you know, oh, I forgot, and we'll slip in at like 9 or 10. Uh, not a good idea. But uh, so I was in the deer stand at about 3.30. The phone was off. And, you know, I do have some smarts in deer stand. And uh, it started vibrating, and it was Linda. And I was like, oh, man, I hadn't said anything. I'm, you know, she's expecting me home in an hour. So I text back, like, can't talk now, in a deer stand, last chance to kill a buck, missed one, it was a doe, this morning, and, uh, you know, hope you understand. So I was like, I, you know, just waiting, what's she going to text back? And, uh, then you could see it, you know, the text coming through, and she said, ha ha, uh, misplaced competitiveness, many seasons to kill a buck. So I was like, good. All right, she understands the ha-ha, that, uh, that, that was stout, so it was good. And uh, then, immediately later, was another text, just said, you owe me big time. And, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, just text, I love you. I text that, wait for the response, no response, <laughs> no response. Anyway, so there was no response, and uh, there wasn't. But... It can kind of show you the addiction, but also the void. So let me use myself as you know, the, the culprit here. The void we can have in our lives and really get bored uh, and get discontent with things we do from work uh, to family. And we men, or use me, you know, I use the excuse, hey, I need an outlet. You know, I need to be in the woods. Hey, I did my devotion in the woods. You know, all of that. And it can, now you're like, well, what do you do now? Well, turkey season starts in a little bit and, you know, softball and, you know, we got to have our outlet. Why do we really need that outlet? Because there's this void that may not be being filled by what it needs to be filled. And these other things are good, from sports to hunting. But sometimes we make them an ultimate thing when they could just be a good thing in our lives. Just because we, we're not content. We're not, uh, we're not at peace. Now, I read the scripture passage of Peter, and I believe that he was a man like this. Uh, He was a man after our heart in the sense that he was discontent. He did not have peace before he met Jesus. He he was a fisherman, so could have been a a very real hobby and passion that became his livelihood. Although a little background, just so you know, Peter and Andrew were not very successful uh, fishermen. Uh, There have been studies that have shown this, and James and John, the reason it says sons of Zebedee is that they literally had uh, like a family business, a successful family business, and they were doing good, and here was Peter and Andrew who were not doing good, so you know there was like some competition there between these these brothers, I don't even know if they were friends, but they became brothers, and you know, that was, uh, there was some conflict. So Peter, I believe, and other People have written fictionalized account about his life before Jesus. He was a very angry man. Uh, he was he was very bitter. He, um, you know, he just was very discontent and not at peace with himself or his life. And maybe that's why I relate a lot to Peter because I've I've lived that way. But it could have been something like this. And again, there've been fictionalized account. Peter was married. Uh, just so you know, he had a mother-in-law, so he had a family uh, before he met Jesus. And, uh, well, it, it could have been something along these lines. Peter could come in from a day out on the sea, and this might happen. Goodness! 
There's no fish again. We just have no luck, Andrew and I. We go out, we cast the nets, we get scraps. There's nothing. Do we have any food to eat? Any supper? Yes, I know I was supposed to catch supper. Well, it didn't happen again. So there's nothing. Anything to drink? Yes, the Zebedee boys had a good catch once again. Why do you ask why I'm always angry? Look at our life. Look at our life. I mean, we we barely make it by on scarce means. You know, we we talk about God. Our our forefathers talked about God and how he blessed. Well, he's not blessing me. He's not blessing us. He's not blessing our house. Messiah? What are you talking about? Someone thinks he's the Messiah. And walking around down there, you have not met the Messiah. There is no Messiah. That's just, just false dreams from fools. Magic men. I don't know what I'm going to do. We've got to do something. Kids on the way. No luck. God's hands not on this. What? You ask what more is there? You ask me to believe. You ask me to have faith in what? In this? I have more faith in the pub. That's where I'll go to try to get a meal. No, the Messiah won't be down there. What do you know about? There is no Messiah. There's only this. And hopefully a little luck more tomorrow. Don't stay up for me. Now, I do that because, well, one, I think it gives a bit more reality to the life of Peter and maybe to some of our lives. But having anger and bitterness and discontentment and just bored with what is, is a trap Peter fell in. Other men of God fell in. We fall in. But something happened to Peter. Something happened to him. He met the man. He met the man. He met Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, walking along the sea. And when, when we meet Jesus, and some of you are here like, yeah, I got, you know, no. No, when we meet Jesus, our affections change. I want to really key in on that word, affections, as in like what we like to do. So before I was talking about hunting, I was talking about softball, I could talk about reading, I could talk about any, any things we like to do. When we truly meet Jesus, the things we like to do begin to change. Some things are put to death, some sinful habits, and we want to move closer and closer and closer to Jesus. That's what Peter did. He, but he first, he met the man. He truly met the man. He met Jesus. He had a moment. A moment. Scripture says there that immediately, immediately, he followed Jesus. He got up and followed him. Immediately. And I would say to you all that you can meet Jesus in a moment. In a moment, you can, as we call it, be saved, to receive, to believe in faith. It happens in a moment. And I'd ask you all, have you had that moment? Have you had the moment? Now, our life with Christ, our walk with Christ, it can be gradual. It really is gradual. And we will stumble. Peter stumbled 
all the time. I mean, it was Peter who, when Jesus says, you know, I'm going to die and then rise again, and Peter says, no, 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 no. And Jesus calls him Satan. And when Jesus calls you Satan, not a good day. Not a good day. And that was Peter. And then Peter denied Jesus on the moment, at the moment, when he needed him most. Right before he was going to the cross. So Peter was stumbling all the time. And we stumble all the time too. But he had a moment. And he met the man. He said, I'm going to follow you. So you meet the man. Have the moment. And when you do that, because a lot of us can say, man, I've met Jesus. I've had that moment. Raise the hand. You know, come down the aisle. Said the prayer in my seat or in my room or wherever. You know, I got that moment. Got it done. Well, then I would say we should know the mission. Because there's a man and a moment. And there is a mission. Right, what's the mission? What's well, Jesus talks about it here, and he says, instead of fishing for fish, I'm going to teach you to fish for men and women and catch men and women. But our mission is literally, if you think about fishing, there are fish here to catch men and women. Sometimes you have to have strategy in that if you're going for one fish, one big fish, and sometimes you cast your net wide. And only in Jesus can we catch men and women, but that's our that's our mission. So if we've really met the man, and if we've had the moment, we know the mission, and we're called to the mission to catch people for Jesus. Now I want to break down the mission a little bit more, because something like, okay, fish and, you know, brawl and everything. What is the mission? You might be asking me. What really, real, what is the mission if, if I have Jesus, if I've met him, if I've had the moment, what is it? The mission is about people. Mission is about people. John 10, 16. Very key theme verse in the life of this church. Jesus says, there are others. Broadly speaking, there are other people. He says, I must go to them. They will hear my voice. They'll know the shepherd's voice. They'll be one flock with one shepherd. The mission is about people. The mission is about y'all sitting here, literally preaching and leading and Bible study and y'all growing together and growing in Christ as a church. But it's about people out there too. In a very, very local way. These streets, these neighborhoods, these businesses. I was talking to someone this week said, you know, two to three hundred folks are going to come in uh, to work for six months at Whole Foods. Some will stay longer. You know, do they have a church? Are we interested in inviting them? Are we interested in these neighborhoods? These other, we need to be a church on this corner for this corner, for this neighborhood. And we also need to be a metro church. People who live in Madison and Rankin and other areas in Jackson, that we are reaching out, a church for this city, because Jesus is about others. And we've got to be about other people. That's the mission. The mission is always about people. People who are different and who look different and who speak in different ways and who act different and that we are shaped and centered in Jesus and become one church. Here a local church, Bellwether, big church, capital C church, in this world and for eternity. It's about people, though. The mission is about purpose. It's about people and it's about purpose. Y'all have a purpose. We have a purpose. Not just as a church, but your individual lives. Like, what's my purpose? You know, like, this is where I'm just, you know, I'm bored, humdrum, discontent. You have a purpose. Your purpose in your job. You have a purpose in your family. What's the purpose? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus says, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
We need to be a neighborhood church, a metro church, and a global church. Nations. Baptize them. I talked about baptism with our, our family ministry. It said we're to baptize and teach. And you can't teach if you don't know about Jesus. So, okay, well, how do I go? So, you know, a missionary? Well, look, not everybody's called to be a pastor, but if we're Christian, we are all called to be missionaries. Not as you think, like going off to Africa or something, but where we are in your work, in your family. So if you're an attorney, or if you're an artist, if you are an entrepreneur, if you're a physician, if you're a scientist, if you're an actor, if you write music, do that. Do it to the best of your ability. Do it to glorify God, to show Him, and lead others to Him. In your work, as you teach in a school or in a college. Live for Jesus and people will be drawn to that. When you know the man, you've had the moment, you're on mission, you live in a different way. Now some may be called to be pastors, that's great, but we're all missionaries where we are doing the work that we've been called to do, that we've been gifted to do. You've got a purpose to go as we go. And we like to say at Bellwether. And make disciples. That means mentoring the men's group that's starting Tuesday. I want men to mentor other men. Baptizing, teaching. So it's about people, it's about purpose, and it's about power. Acts 1.8. Jesus says, the last words that he said before he ascended. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Power. It's not power in our minds. It's not power in our strengths. It's not power in our gifts. It's not power in the way we reason or analyze something. It's not power in how we relate or how big our Rolodex is. It is Spirit-filled power. It is power by the Holy Spirit. And it is a supernatural power. It is power to heal, power to change, power to melt hearts, power to reconcile, power to forgive people you thought you would never forgive. Power to go, go in your work and go on mission to some other country you never dreamed you'd end up at. Maybe short-term, maybe long-term. It is power that changes our life. It is real. It is here now with us. It is speaking in your hearts. And sometimes the blocks and barricades that we build up, it just won't get through. And we gotta, we got to break those down. And I hope you will break them down until some travesty or tragedy in your life breaks it down. And you're floored. And you're on your face. and you're on your, I don't want that for us. I want our hearts and our minds to be open to the Spirit and say, you can do so much more in me and through me than I could ever do on my own. How do I get that power? Have we met the man? Have we had the moment? And are we on mission for Jesus? He's right up there. Picture of him. And his mission is clear. Raising leaders and going to the lost. Have you met the man? Have you had the moment? Have you found the mission? Go back to Peter again. I love, love, love Peter. Love him. Not more than Jesus, but I love Peter. And talking about a scene before Peter met Jesus, there's another scene in one of my favorite books. It was also made into a movie. I recommend you reading it if you're a reader over the Lent season before Easter. It's called The Rogue. 
And Peter is a supporting character in this. But it shows his change. And his, his literal countenance change after meeting and following Jesus. It's profoundly different from the Peter before. And there's a scene in the row where Peter is in Rome. He made it all the way to Rome. He started a church in Rome. If you go to Rome now, you could see where Peter's remains are. And he founded this church in Rome, and it grew and began converting people. And a man who was converted was a man of wealth and power in the Roman Senate. And he became a Christian. And then his son got ill and was going to die. So all the wealth and the might and the power and the connections, and he couldn't save his son. And he called on his church, and he called on Peter. And Peter came to his home, which was in one of the, the nicest areas of Rome. And he came and very humbly dressed. And there were friends there, powerful people, rich men and women. Peter entered and they were like, who is this man who is so humble yet so firm, who has such a peace about him, whose countenance was just 180 degrees different from the one before he met Jesus. And he told the doctors to leave. And he went in and the boy was laying on the bed And in the scene, Peter lays his hands on him and prays and is with him. And the young boy is healed by the power of God. Where did Peter get this power? From our Lord. He got the power from the cross. He got the power from his baptism. He got power from communion, sharing in what Jesus has done. We can have that same power. I believe it. We can have the power to heal. Heal hearts. Heal minds. Heal bodies. And the Holy Spirit. Heal neighborhoods. Heal cities. Heal the world. How do we do it? It starts with a man. It starts with a moment. And we go on mission. I want us to have that power. I want you to have that power. So all I'd ask is, have you really met the man Have you really had the moment? Have you found the mission? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, all power is in you and through you. You can can do mighty works in the here and now. It's not just what we see in Scripture. You can heal. You can transform. I pray that you do that. I pray you do it in relationships that need healing. I pray you do that in communities that need healing. This city that needs healing. And that we would look to you for power. And even when, even when the hard times come and the brokenness comes and the struggles come and the cancer comes and the bankruptcy comes, we'd still look to you and you would fill us with power. That we would know in all times and in all things, in all circumstances, we can be content. And you'll give us peace. Fill us with your power at this time. Fill us with your strength at all times. In your name. Amen. Amen.